Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, Tara Clark. Here at Modern Mom Probs, we're trying to solve modern mom problems, but if we can't solve them, at least we're having fun talking about them. Today's topic is being a good enough mother with Dr. Tanya Kotler. Dr. Tanya Kotler is a distinguished psychologist specializing in reproductive and maternal mental health. She brings a mindful and integrative approach to her practice. As an author, she writes a regular column for Psychology Today, Motherhood Made Real, and has published a number of other works on maternal mental health and parent-child attachment. Tanya, welcome to the show. So Tanya, you have nearly 20 years of clinical experience. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I always hesitate when I get this question, Tara because it's 20 years and I don't want to be boring. <laughs> I'm going to sum up, I guess, my two years in two, two main ways. And the first is that through the last almost 20 years of research and clinical experience, I focused on one main thing, and that's the parent-child relationship. I went into graduate school even before I got my master's, fascinated by this idea of how those early relationships that first relationship, if you will, those origin stories, how they can shape us, how they shape our patterns of thinking, feeling, behaving through life. And during my clinical experience from master's to PhD, I really focused first on children. So I guess you could say I started as a child psychologist. I did inpatient work with those who had the most profound mental illness diagnoses. I worked in inner city education, Head Start programs. I worked with children with abuse and neglect. And I began to really realize just how important that early phase was. But I also, the second theme that I began to become aware of was this, what I call, it takes two to tango, was that the child's mind matters, but so does the parent's mind. And we lose that a lot. I come from a psychoanalytic perspective and there's a kind of quiet undertone of, focus on the child. You know, we do things because it's in the best interest of the child. That's still kind of around. If you watch the ethos of, you know, parenting manuals, we're not actually talking about it from the mother's mind. Parents' mind matters too. We're still kind of talking about like, do this because it's good for the kid. And I always came from an approach of both minds matter. The, The mother, I came mostly to maternal was a child, has a a story behind her, was parented in a certain way. Her ancestors live in her. And so I began to actually focus my work on adults, not immediately parents, but first just adult general, did the same track of mostly inpatient and then outpatient. So from more severe mental health to more depression, anxiety. And then I really honed in the last 10 years on that early stage. So those first five years of life for both and on maternal mental health for both mothers and children. And the reason is that I saw it as a crucial point of entry. Yes, for child development, 
but also because I started to notice how much mothers were, as they conceptualized the becoming mothers, even before they were, were re-experiencing, getting triggered, reparenting themselves, remembering the ways they were parented, and it was affecting them. It was living in them. And it, it sort of gets woken up in this early phase, right? And many of us as a mother myself, I know that it happened. And then I kept watching my clients, you know, they were re-experiencing their own childhood through the eyes of their child. And so it became this really important point of entry, yes, for child development, but also for the mother's well-being, for the mother's development. And so I specialized and got all the extra trainings and did, you know, maternal mental health specialty, parent-infant specialty so that it can work with infants and in a therapeutic approach. And here I am. And I'm glad you're here. So you covered so many things and I want to like jump into like so many things because years ago, even when my son was first born, my son is, is 10 and a half now, my behavior and my background, I didn't think was informing how I was parenting. Now, obviously, through the work that I do here on the podcast and social and talking to so many wonderful people like yourself, I realized, yeah, that actually has a lot to do with it. And so a few years ago, once that became aware to me, I realized like I need to reparent myself so that I am not speaking to my son in a way that my my mother spoke to me. And I'm actually pleased to say, I'm going to pat myself on the back, that I'm not. You know, I, I consider myself a conscious parent. My son and I are very in tune. We're very aligned. But I think it really starts with awareness because when people become parents, you don't realize that you can't see what I'm doing right here, but you can't, you don't realize that your parents' voices are coming through in the back of your head, through you to them, right? And unless you stop and really make a conscious effort to say, I'm not going to speak to my children like that. I'm not going to treat my children in a certain way. And obviously here I'm talking about negative behaviors, not positive behaviors. You want to, you want to encourage those positive behaviors that your parents did. But for the negative behaviors, you want to just put a stop to it so that you then can encourage and foster and empower your kids in, in, in the relationship between the two of you in, in such a more positive way. And so I'm so glad that we're having these types of conversations because even 10 years ago, I feel like that was just simply not something that we were hearing about. Absolutely. And that's exactly it. And, you know, for those of your listeners who are hearing this and going, okay, how do I do that? <laughs> uh, how do I start that process? Or I started that process and it's really hard. You know, maybe the framework of this entire podcast, if I could, is that it, it's really hard and it's not at all a linear process. And yes, it lives in your mind, but it's not an entirely conscious process either. There's a lot that goes on unconsciously. There's a lot that we carry in that lives in our bodies. And I'm sure we're going to get into it. But it's a reflection, it's an awareness, not only in mind, not only of conscious story, but slowly an unpacking of also what lives in my body. Oh, let's unpack what lives in our body. Let's unpack that. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of uh, amazing research on intergenerational trauma. And without getting into it completely, what we know is both on an epigenetic level, on a nature level, we can our genes can change in how we respond, for example, how we respond to stress. 
So take an example of your child screaming and the perfect parenting script that is on a thousand Instagram accounts that you have memorized. You do. You're like, I got it. You know, I, I believe you. You're sad. You really wanted the blue bowl. You know, you enter ready. You know, you have the script on the fridge, but your kid doesn't stop crying. And so you do it again. And, you know, we might get into a little bit about good enough mother and good enough child. But for now, you enter it and you do it again. You know, you do the script again. And here we go. But what's going on in your body as that script is happening really matters. And some of that might be, as I said, epigenetic and nature level. Like maybe I move, I have a less flexible nervous system and I move into fight or flight more quickly. And suddenly that yelling gets too much and I go, stop it. Right. I mean, that is a reaction lived in my body that I may not have been aware of. What does that crying do to me? And if I'm not aware of it and I'm not trying to regulate it, it's going to, it's only fair. It's going to come out. It's not a fully conscious process. Right. And so there's also that aspect of also nurture what lives in your body and the body holds what the mind cannot. The body remembers what the mind doesn't. And so, yes, as we become more conscious of our story, we, we tell it, we reprocess it we may have the ability to release the body from kind of holding some of that prison in a way. It makes so much sense. I, I've never really considered that and I've never really had that as part of this conversation. So I'm glad that you've introduced that concept. Oh, good. I'm so happy. That's something I talk a lot about. So I'm sure well, you'll hear more from me. Yeah, good. <laughs> I want you to. Okay. So you mentioned being a good enough mother and in your work, you speak about that a lot. So let's unpack. We're going to go back to that word again. <laughs> let's unpack that concept of being a good enough mother. What do you mean by that? So I always want to start with, this isn't my term. I see it used a lot. Sometimes it's given credit. Sometimes it's not. As a psychoanalyst in training, I want to give it credit to where the term comes from, but also because actually with giving credit to who coined the term, we can begin to really understand what is meant by it. And it's sometimes misused. So the term was coined by Donald Winnicott in the 1950s. You don't need to know anything more than that, but you know, let's give him a moment. 1950s, give him Donald Winnicott. I, I'm he, impressed that, yeah, even, uh, that even someone from the 1950s was even thinking about that concept. So good on you, right? Donald. Exactly. Exactly. Good on you, Donald. 1950s pediatrician psychoanalyst coins this term. And why that's important is he coined the term on purpose. So we hear good enough and we all like have language associations like enough, right? That's one end of the spectrum, like too much, like high, like past your tolerance level enough. And then there's also like just enough, can't really reach full standard. And both versions don't sit well. And yet he used the term on purpose because he was talking about parenting, mothering in particular, being not overly precise or intrusive, meaning not responding to every single thing, quote unquote, perfectly on purpose. And at the same time, not being overly dismissive. So enough as actually being enough, just right? Like just right in enough. the middle of not dismissive and not precise as a benefit of that. And he understood the benefit of that. Going back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast, my approach being from a place of two to tango, 
His, unfortunately, in the 1950s in particular, was not. So he was thinking of for the child, right? So it's good for the child because it allows a child to develop into their true self. And what he meant by that was if a parent is either overly dismissive or kind of exactly responsive all the time, there's not enough space for the development of who the child is going to be. They're going to potentially develop what's called a false self. So they might, you know, develop a way of coping to connect of people pleasing because there's no room for them to mess up, right? But there also might be this no room for them to kind of explore who they are if the parent is too precise. And he came to that by looking at early mothers. And I don't know about you, Tara, but I remember this. And he talks about this early phase of motherhood that's maternal preoccupation, where you're essentially preoccupied with your child. You push away like all things you, and you kind of get pulled like, whoosh. <laughs> nobody sees me, but I like suctioned in <laughs> to your baby. And as you should, he said. So anybody who's listening and going, oh God, I'm totally preoccupied. Well, at the beginning, he actually named the phase. You're, you're supposed to be. They, they are completely dependent on you. But then he referred to this process as they grow. So does the space literally and metaphorically between the two of you to allow them to become their own person. And you begin to mirror and reflect it back. The other aspect of what he said was really important about good enough mothering was that it allowed the child to move through what he referred to as failures. And he literally used the term failures on purpose. And again, to say, you know, that's okay. The child learns frustration tolerance and they learn trust because they learn me and you can move through a moment where you weren't there for me. And then I know to trust you. Like I know you come back. What I add to it, I think, or what I think is really important is what we were just referencing very briefly, which is that to me, the good enough mother is the mother who creates space also for herself. And so that her mind is allowed to be good enough, that she's allowed to feel the full range of emotion too. That motherhood is marked by ambivalent feelings, including anger and anxiety and loneliness, and that she's going to have them and that that's okay. And what that does is, first of all, it makes good enough mother the human mother. It allows room for imperfection, all of that. That's we, that a lot of us might have heard already. But what it also does is if we really pay attention and it's reducing shame, then it's increasing reflection or curiosity. So, for example, your kid's going to camp and they say to you, this might have happened to me yesterday, they say to you, I don't want to go to camp. I don't want to go to camp. And, you know, you start all the perfect scripts that we talked about. I believe you don't want to go and you're sad to say goodbye to mommy. But then very quickly you go, you're going to camp. Okay. Now, if we get stuck in the shame, I can't believe I did that. I sent them crying off to camp. I can't believe I did it. You know, we get stuck. It's, it's like quicksand. But if we allow this space of good enough, and we say, okay, what happened there? We open up this ability to reflect, this reflective capacity. What was going on with me in my body? What was going on 
maybe with my child. Why do they say they don't want to go? And slowly, you know, this enters the realm of what I talk about in terms of rupture and repair. But we begin to be able to think about ourselves. You know, I was feeling helpless. I knew I had this podcast with you, Tara, and I needed time to prep and I needed her to go to camp right? What happens to me when I feel helpless? How does that live in my body? Maybe from there and then, how would my parents respond to me? But also what is the experience of helplessness like for me? And and there's so much more, but we begin to open up the tool of reflection. And so to me, good enough mothering is essentially tolerance. It's allowing you to tolerate and reflect them on them, on their mind, and tolerate and reflect on your mind And here's the clincher we just talked about before. And on your body, what else, what is going on with me right now? Why did that happen? With compassion as opposed to what is going on with me, (laughs) which is with judgment and actually just gets you stuck. Yes. Do you find that it takes a lot of time and practice to get to that point? Absolutely. I think that I, my entire practice is in some ways predicated on building this capacity. Some of us may have it a little more, this reflective capacity, this ability to think about minds, uh, the whys of minds, intentions, behaviors, thoughts, feelings. Some of us really need to learn that. And actually that's because it comes from that origin parent-child relationship. And if there wasn't a lot of exploration of minds, you have to learn how to do it. This episode is brought to you by Modern Mom Style Box. Upgrade your wardrobe and enjoy unlimited styles for just $60 a month. Modern Mom Style Box is the first rental clothing subscription designed exclusively for moms and moms-to-be. Get started today with a free trial. Use promo code PTO. Yeah, yeah. And also time. I feel like people also need time to be able to reflect and in even time to be able to go through those scripts, not, not even let's say those scripts, but even to role play that. Right. And it takes a lot. So your child wakes up and says, I don't want to go to camp this morning. And which actually ironically happened to me yesterday morning. So I get it. But to have that back and forth counter where they say something, you say something, they say something, you say something, right? And you're working through this together also takes time. And I often think back when we have these conversations, obviously I think about my mother and then I think about my grandparents because we talked about our ancestors living through us. And my grandmother had four children and I don't know if she necessarily had the time to go back and forth and back and forth with her children. I think it was more of like a, you're going outside because I said so. And then that was it. And then my mother probably would have been sort of the same way. But for me, I go back and forth with my son and go back and forth with my son. So not everyone, I feel like, always has the privilege of time on their side. I I think that's such an important part of this because when we're talking about permission to be human and we're talking about reflection, we mean reflection on your body on your story, on the stories that lived in you, on the there and then, and on your body now and your here and now. And that might literally be things like, did I sleep? Did I eat? 
Are there three kids screaming at the same time? I'm a mother of three. That is going to make it really different. And so when we're talking about compassion, we don't just mean compassion for the origin story or the reflection on the origin story. We remind, we mean the reflection on the compassion for the origin story, for your body, for your thoughts, for your feelings, and for your present moment, whatever that is. And sometimes I hear what I just said, that's a lot. (laughs) And so you might not do it in the moment. And that's where I guess we can get into this concept of rupture and repair, where you, you don't manage to do it in the moment. And, and very often we don't. That was a perfect segue because I was just about to say, you mentioned <laughs> rapture and repair, and I want to learn more about that. So let's talk about that. Can you elaborate? What is the importance of rupture and repair? How does that work into this process? So the way I think about rupture and repair, and I, I'm going to kind of insert a pause, is that I consider rupture and repair the two second parts to my four-pronged, what I call 4R method that I've developed around building that secure attachment bond with your child. And I've done that, I think, in response largely to the how, 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 how questions, and also in response to the plethora of parenting manuals that don't always take into account this reflection aspect. And so the first two R's we've actually talked about in some way without naming them. And that's the reflection on myself, what I was just talking about. And the second R is the recognition, which is essentially reflection of your child. So the first two R's are in every moment, in every relational match and mismatch, we are trying, and as we said, it's hard and takes time, to reflect on ourselves in our full being and on our child, in their full being. The second two R's are the rupture and repair, which is bringing in the But a lot of the time, I'm not going to do that. That's good enough because I'm human. And actually, the research on this, Ed Tronick, who is a psychoanalyst and also a researcher on attachment science, has actually even narrowed down to the exact number of, you know, how much mismatch can you do? And he talks about the 70-30, that 70% of the time you can be in mismatch. 70% of the time, secure relationships are in mismatch. And if you really think about it, that's not like, don't worry, but try to be better. He actually talks about it as that's good, going back to good enough. Because from all those experiences of mismatch that are natural and human, all those experiences of rupture, trust increases. This idea that you and I could move through hard things together increases. And so I hear the line all the time of, I can do hard things or we can do hard things. It's a great line. It doesn't sit in my body fully because it's actually not fully true. We can do hard things together. We can do hard things when we're not alone. We can do hard things when we are felt by someone else. And so these experiences of rupture together, whether it's you driving with your baby, crying in the back seat and You can't pull over every five minutes. I've tried. Like, you can't. So at some point, you got to just drive. And it's a rupture. And we'll talk about repair in a moment. And you'll repair it. But these are constant. The I don't want to go to camp. The the gate moment where you say goodbye, they're constant, right? And so beginning to let that in as a 70-30. 
of tolerable, that important, that word is important, tolerable ruptures that we repair. And the earlier the repair, the better, but it isn't always immediate. And that's from research, that's evidence-based. So not always immediate. Of course, the sooner, the better. And that's because as you all who are listening to this have children, they have memories of fish. And so, you know, sooner, better, but it's not always immediate. So permission, you know, take an exhale on that. So if we use the example of my child going to camp, right? And she's saying, we were actually driving back from Montreal and she's, you know, four hour drive and hour one, she's, and we're planning on dropping her off, driving back from Montreal, dropping her off at camp. I get how that's probably already a rupture, like big plans. And we're driving, she's like, I'm not going to camp. I'm not going to camp. It's four hours of I'm not going to camp. I'm already starting to, oh God, I can't handle this for four hours. I can't, right? I'm getting anxious. I also, as I mentioned before, have other plans in place. Maybe you were thinking of cleaning your kitchen. Maybe you were going to go out for lunch with pals. Maybe you have work to do. You have needs. Your mattering starts to get triggered. Like, oh, your helplessness might. I'm doing the script and it's not working. Your what's happening in your body. You're inside a car. It's very loud. You can't go anywhere. You can't get out and take a deep breath, right? What does that do to you? What's from your origin story? Did you sleep? You know, how early did you get in the car? There's so much. And so let's say I turn around and I try the script and eventually I turned around and go, you're going to camp kind of abruptly. Like you're right. Let, let's say I do that. And then we keep driving or you keep living and you realize you reflect on everything you just said. You go, okay, why do they not want to go to camp? So that's that second R. That's that recognition, reflection on their mind. You know, maybe it's too hot and, and they are in an outdoor camp. Do you have a little hand fan you can send them with? Do you put ice in their water? What do you, you know, what can you do? What can you offer them you're going to do? Maybe it's hard for them to make new friends. Maybe they don't like saying goodbye to you. They've just spent the weekend with you. So in your repair, you're going to name, you're going to recognize, and that's what we see with all the scripts, the I believe you words, right? I believe you don't want to go. I know it's really hot there. Let's put ice in your water. I know you're going to miss mommy. Let's, you know, have a kissing hand or let's both tattoo. I do that with my kids, you know, something on my wrist and something on your wrist. And we have the same, you know, sticker tattoo all day, whatever it is, you, you develop a way of helping them regulate. It's not okay. So you're not going to go, but you repair it. But then there's that inner repair. And a lot of that we don't see out there in these scripts. And that's the what happened to me stuff. That's what happened in my moment. That's a hand on heart compassion. And I talk with a lot of my patients about how therapy is equal parts self-compassion and self-reflection and equal parts self-accountability. Yes, we want to do better. We want to change. We don't do that by being like, I really can't do that anymore. We do that by why, what happened there. How, what got triggered in me, what was happening in my body here and now and there and then. And so really rupture and repair is about this is going to happen. You are human. They are human. They're imperfect. You're imperfect. Every time you hit an imperfection bump, what happened? Repair it in the moment, repair it afterwards. I'm actively taking notes on all of this. <laughs> Say the four R's one more time. Just I want everyone to remember these. Absolutely. They are reflection, recognition. So think of them as reflection, one for you, 
one for your child. So one's on your mind and your body, one's on their mind and their body, and then rupture and repair. That's beautiful. Now this needs to be in a book somewhere. <laughs> well, I'm working on it, Tara. Excellent. Tell me excited. more about I'm, that. I'm heavy, I'm heavy, heavy in the deep into the writing process right now. And I am hitting a point where I'm soon going to begin querying for the book, which is daunting and exciting. The book to me is a bit of what we've talked about today. It's really an alternative to the already saturated landscape of parenting manuals. So I'm hoping it inserts itself into delving much deeper into this unexplored territory of maternal mental health and parent-child attachment by looking at that interplay of essentially our mental health and our unresolved childhood wounds, whatever they are. Some are smaller, some are bigger, but if they're the trauma or experience of pain or unsafety is a wound it creates, not the experience itself. And we all have wounds. And so this follows four therapy cases in depth, as well as weaves myself in my own story in ways I've never been public about before through the book. And really, I think is offering a hope, but also a bit of a how-to, but it's more of a how-to on this reflection, using these aspects of somatic and how do you explore what's going on in your body and how do you tune into your body and how do you tune into your mind and your story and kind of weaving that all together using clinical cases, uh, these four cases and myself. I can't wait to read it. Thank you. I can't wait for it to be in your hands. (laughs) Right, exactly. And then I will will tell everyone in the world about it. I I think the body piece is one piece that is often missing in this conversation. And that's why I think it's important that you include it in your body of work. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think we are often talking about parts of this. And that goes right back to how we started that two to tango and body and mind. Totally. Yeah. What would your key piece of advice be to a mother who is really struggling in parenthood right now? <sighs> I think the most important thing with motherhood is to understand motherhood as a developmental process, just like childhood. We, the romanticized version of motherhood that we talk about a lot is the all calm and capable mom. That's not it. We also have a silent messaging that motherhood is a point of arrival. Like you get there, like it's an end point. Like it's this goal. We're going to be a mother. And then nobody saw me like put my hand in the air, but we're going to be a mother and we're going to arrive, you know, and with arrival comes maybe bliss, comes joy, comes fulfillment, comes And that's, excuse my language, BS. It's not an arrival point. It's a point in a line, like everything else. And there's a whole developmental process of refinding yourself and moving through various feelings and experiences. And they are impermanent. You know, what I say to my kids is feelings are visitors. You need to welcome visitors. And you also need to open the door and let them leave. They're not yes, meant to stay. I am going to, t- I'm taking notes again and I will use that one with my son. And so no, saying that to yourself in those middle of the nights, in those moments when you need it, 
This is impermanent. This is a point in a line, feelings, experiences. Motherhood was not a point of arrival, not at birth, not at four months, not when they finally go to daycare. Like nothing's a point of arrival. There are just moments in time that we move through. I almost see that as like the jumping off point of a whole new journey as opposed to an end point. You know, like before I had my son, I was like, I can't wait to be a mom. I'm going to be a mom. Just like you said, like to you, like to me at that time, that was the end goal. But really that was actually just the jumping off point. Absolutely. I love that. And there's a whole developmental process. There's a whole life that you're going to live just like your child. Yeah. Tell everyone where we could find you. I, I love you. I want everyone to, to follow your book and read all of, well, to follow you online and to, when your book comes out, read your book and do all the things. Amazing. Thank you, Tara. So I am on Instagram at Dr. Cutler and my website is pretty easy, drtaniacutler.com. I'm also the founder of a clinic if you are in an Ontario-based area where we actually do a lot of this integrative trauma work body and mind. And that's at Renny, R-E-N-N-I dot C-A. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of those little nuggets of wisdom. Thank you so much for having me, Tara. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.